Welcome to another edition of Market Impact Insights, your podcast source for business leadership perspectives to help your business grow. Hear from experts in marketing, sales, business strategy, and more with practical advice for business success. Make sure you won't miss the latest episodes by visiting marketimpactnow.com. Now, here's your host, Dan Albaum. Happy New Year, everyone. It's 2021. And what a transition it is. I think everybody is looking forward to turning the page, getting to the new year. And you know, when we think about a new year, it really is a time of transition. It's a time of new beginnings. And we're going to explore today something that uh, I'm sure many of you have both experienced, you've thought about, There's a moment in your life where something happens. It could be an unexpected event. Maybe it was a planned event. It's a milestone. It's an event that becomes life-changing, where everything seems different after it happens. And perhaps that life-changing event propels you in an entirely new direction. We're going to explore that today with Billy Price. Billy is co-founder of Billy Footwear. Billy Footwear is an innovative disruptor in a huge global footwear market. Uh, The estimate for 2020 is that that is much greater than $200 billion worldwide. And what Billy has done is nothing short of amazing in terms of bringing a whole new approach to the footwear experience. But beyond what he's done in terms of the business, Billy's life story, his path to achieving the success is even more amazing. As a teenager and Seattle native, Billy suffered a spinal cord injury and became paralyzed from the chest down. He lost the ability to move his fingers. Daily tasks became difficult, but using his creative mind and an unyielding spirit, he never gave up. He continued on. He's faced life's challenges with tenacity and determination And Billy Footwear, as we'll learn a little bit more today, was born out of a need, and it was founded on the principle of inclusion and perseverance. Along with his co-founder, Darren Donaldson, Billy strives to add value to the lives of others and to make measurable differences in the world one foot at a time. Billy, welcome to Market Impact Insights. (laughs) Well, thank you so much. It truly is my pleasure. So, Billy, we we talked a little bit about this life-changing event for you that that really, truly transformed your path. And I'd like you to share that story a little bit more because I think that is a very important foundation to when we jump ahead and talk about your success and where you're headed with Billy Footwork. Can you talk a little bit about that, that unexpected and, at the time, tragic event? Right. Yeah, no problem at all. And uh, yeah, it's it, it was an interesting time. It uh, and it's interesting because it it happened over twenty years ago, and still it's so fresh in my mind. So I grew up as a very uh, a very independent kid, very fiercely independent kid, very active in the outdoors. Um, did a lot of things with my with my hands in sports, um, climbing, hiking, you name it. And when I was a freshman in college, um, unfortunately. I fell out of a three-story window. And when that happened, a lot of things in my world changed. I fell head first, three stories to concrete. 
and it broke my neck and it broke my back and uh, it created a spinal cord injury. So the bones healed, but the spinal cord didn't. So because of that injury, um, it left me wheelchair bound. So my my level of injury is a, um, a C5-6, which is up in the neck area, and then L1, which is the lower back. And uh, it just left me as a quadriplegic. So all four of my limbs are affected. So when that happened, um, there were so many things that I used to be able to do that I can no longer do. And putting on shoes is one of those things. So that definitely later in life um, catapulted into a business. But early on, you know, shoes was really the last thing of my concern. It was just a matter of trying to piece my life back together, both physically and mentally, to be able to, you know, be in the hospital for five and a half months, trying to figure out what wheelchair would replace my legs. Um, I had just started college. So, you know, what did that look like going back to school? And then, of course, what would later in life look like? I mean, I just didn't have answers to these questions. But uh, pretty much the surrounding people around me that were able to support me, I was able to make some decisions that uh, really set us up, set us up well for uh, things to happen better later in life. So, Billy, when this all happened and, and when you were first going through the initial rehabilitation, right, and that in the transition, did you uh, set a a new set of life goals immediately uh, with an optimism or did you find yourself going through different waves of cycle of both optimism and then maybe a little bit more pessimism? How did that work for you in terms of just as you were really having to rethink about where you were headed? Well, that is such a fantastic question because, you know, my, my, my goal when I was in the hospital was I had this laid out optimistic plan where well, basically, I wasn't going to be that guy that goes rolling out of the hospital in a wheelchair. I was going to be the guy that I was going to be the miracle story that, you know, ends up piecing this all back yeah. together and uh, walking out of the hospital. And uh, it just didn't happen that way. I mean, I was the plan that I was setting to myself was, OK, this week, I'll I'll get my biceps. Next week, I'll get function back for my triceps. This week, I'll work on my hands. Next, I'll work on my abs and I'll be that guy walking out. And it just doesn't work that way, unfortunately, with spinal cord injury. Sometimes it does, but it didn't work that way for me. Um, so those goals uh, that I had in the near term were very, very frustrating. And it took me to a dark place. But it, what happened was somewhere along the way, um, this, this switch flipped. And it flipped from this pessimism of focusing on what I didn't have Mm-hmm. Instead, it focused on uh, the optimism side of focusing on what I did have. And that was still to be alive, <laughs> for one, but two, um, just to be able to problem solve and figure out how to move forward. Yeah, you and I were talking earlier, and you said the doctors they described the fact your survival in and of itself was miraculous. And, and, you know, that refocusing to overcome the pessimism and then focus on that, which is achievable. You went back to school, right? And so you were able to continue on that path. I did. I did. So I had started, I had about two and a half week dent in my college career. And after I got, after I uh, got discharged from the hospital, I went back to school and uh, continued on mechanical engineering. That's something I was interested in doing. I was always very, you know, good at trying to break down complex problems into smaller problems and be able to kind of figure out how to put the pieces together. So mechanical engineering seemed to be a good fit. And uh, yeah, I continued on, graduated five years later. I was on the five-year plan. <laughs> <It's pretty good. laughs> 
and uh, got myself a job with the, the Federal Aviation Administration after the fact. And that uh, really set me, set me up well um, career-wise for bigger things. Right, right. And so you started down what might be considered a more traditional career path. But, you know, we've talked to a lot of entrepreneurs on the podcast, a a lot of uh, company founders. And of course, there's a whole set of challenging dynamics to uh, founding a company and going through startup phase. It's not for everyone. And I'm curious, Billy, was this something that you had thought about at an early age? Was it a personal goal for you to be a company founder or did that also just kind of evolve as you, you started your career and it came later on? Yeah. I mean, I, I really like the way you frame that. Uh, I, I couldn't spell entrepreneur. Um, I didn't know what an entrepreneur <laughs> was. My family, my family was very uh, traditional um, career wise. I guess in that manner, it was a matter of go to school, uh, get good grades, go to college, graduate from college, get that degree, get a job, get a nice stable job save, 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 set yourself up and then, and then retire and then uh, work on that 401k. So the concept of being a business owner, the concept of being an entrepreneur, the concept of like eating what you kill, that type of deal, um, that, that was completely foreign to me. So it wasn't until later, um, I got reconnected with a longtime friend, which is Mr. Darren Donaldson, who ended up being uh, my fellow co-founder for Billy Footwear. Uh, he, on the other hand, was a serial entrepreneur. I mean, he knew what it meant to um, be a business owner. He had already started a couple of businesses and sold those businesses. And uh, he was really the one that introduced me to the concept. And as soon as, <laughs> as, soon as I was introduced to it and uh, just that grind that it requires, um, I was hooked and there was no going back. Yeah. And, you know, in looking at what you've established as the mission, and I mentioned this earlier in the introduction, that Billy Footwear is is really striving to add value to the lives of others and make a measurable difference in the world one foot at a time. And there's this concept of universal design that I want to explore a little bit with you. But you know, when you have a uh, mission in a young company like that, culture that is created plays a very critical role. And I'm curious, some of the things that you've done at Billy Footwear, given the mission that you had to ensure a consistent and a vibrant support of that culture that really enhance the company's ability to succeed. How have you gone about doing that? Boy, that's a great question. That's also, it's also a really big question because, you know, where we are now, we never could have fathomed getting to where we are right now. I mean, the whole point of the business was, um, or I should say the starting of the business was I was not able to put my shoes on. That was the one thing that I never figured out um, being in the hospital. I never figured out after the hospital. And it was just a matter of there wasn't anything on the market that allowed me to, you know, put my, drop my foot in unobstructed. It was always a matter of like having to shove your foot into a shoe. So the concept that we brought to the market, um, it was, it was based on, a need that I had. Darren already had some um, some contacts in place to be able to make a shoe prototype. So he made one prototype and it worked on me. I put my shoes on again independently uh, for the first time since being in a chair. So I broke my neck at 18. I put my shoes on again at 36. And it was such a special moment that we had to share it. So that whole mission statement, trying to make a measurable difference, um, adding value, 
it was really rooted in that particular special moment. And it was a matter of, we can't keep this to ourselves. I'm sure there's a lot of folks out there that uh, could benefit from this type of solution. So we had to share it. So that was basically the foundation of trying to add value. And then also, you know, circling back, just also just realizing that, you know, my injury, my injury, when you fall three stories head first to concrete, you crunch the numbers and <laughs> typically it doesn't work out in your favor. Typically it's like, you're going to be, you're not going to survive. Right. So, so just the fact that I'm able to wake up in the morning is such a blessing. Um, I try to do my best to, to make the most of it. And that's where that adding value part comes from. So then having a product that, you know, meant so much to me and gave me something that I had not had since being in a chair and then wanting to share that with the world. The big question was, how do we do that? And, uh, you know, that's a whole other conversation. Right. Right. And, you know, something I've seen in different uh, organizations that have really strong mission-based goals, there's this balancing act. So you've got this, this mission in terms of what you want to achieve, this bigger picture, and then you've got the uh, mechanics of business and revenue goals, right? You're, you're trying to bring the revenue in, you're, you're formalizing your business plans. Sometimes that balance between kind of the bigger, grander mission and then the business and revenue goals, it can be a little tricky. And I'm curious, how have you been uh, navigating that, that balancing act? Has there been anything challenging about that for you? <laughs> well, you nailed it. Uh, it most definitely, because, you know, the shoe businesses, uh, the shoe industry is very competitive. And uh, when you start, when you release a shoe to the market, you can't just release on one shoe, <laughs> Um, cause everyone, for the most part, everyone has feet and everyone's feet are a little bit different with all the different sizes, all the different preferences, all the different, I mean, there's just so many different variables. So for us to enter the market, um, it was based on a single prototype, but you can't just enter the market with one shoe. I mean, we had to, we started with the Kickstarter campaign where it was two kids shoes, two men's or two women's shoes and three men's shoes. Cause that's as far as our finances could go. And uh, it ended up being successful. But then when we expand, we couldn't expand in all three directions at once. So we expanded into kids and uh, that worked. So then we were able to expand into toddler and adults. But every time we made these leaps, um, it was a real financial crunch because you have to stretch yourself basically as far as you can go, which is as far as we could go, but not necessarily as far as the customer wants you to go. So that's where that balance between um, you know, doing everything that you want to do, but just having to be fiscally responsible to be able to like survive as a business, to be able to, you know, be positioned to be able to make the next push, which is going to be farther than where you currently are. Yeah. You know, it's interesting, you know, scrappy startup coming into this huge global market that uh, mentioned, you know, well over 200 billion, a big, big market with well-established highly recognizable brands. I'm curious, Billy, did you see with your universal design and your innovation, any kind of early response from your competitors that maybe validated, Hey, we're really onto something here because we're getting their attention. You know, we did. Uh, well, we had a couple of really key, key success moments um, early on in the business. And we also had a couple of big failures too, we could talk about, but uh, you know, some of the key success moments was, we got connected with Nordstrom and we got connected with Zappos very early in the game. 
And for us to be able to be on the shelves of both of those retailers, it gave credibility to the brand and also a lot of eyeballs. So, and how we got in front of them, it was a matter of talking to the right person, like having the right association around you. And they were a door opener for a much bigger conversation. Um, Having that type of connection, it really allowed us to to be able to move forward with the brand. Um, but, uh, you know, again, it's like every time you you talk to those guys, they're, they're going to be pushing and pushing and pushing, which is great. But also it's a matter of like having make, making sure that the ducks are in a row to be able to achieve it. Well, anytime that you're taking a different approach and rewriting the rules, there, there's bound to be naysayers out there, Billy. I'm sure you've heard those voices too, but and then, you know, as you overcome that and then you hit 2020, you have the pandemic. And so you've got another challenge. So what's that been like uh, as you were, you know, overcoming everything else that was a challenge, kind of go through a pandemic environment as you continue on with this uh, kind of new concept around the footwear? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, great question. So th- that pandemic for sure, I mean, it affected everybody and uh, everything hit the brakes in a hurry. So, I mean, when it came to Nordstrom and Zappos, that happened in August of 2017. And then we continued to pick up kind of retail partners after that. So we started to have um, a pretty growing brick and mortar type partner situation. And then our own e-commerce continued to grow. And then, you know, February, March of 2020 happened and everything hit the brakes. I mean, brick and mortar stores were closing, closing temporarily, but also some closing up permanently. Mm-hmm. And yeah. uh, when it came to e-commerce, I mean, that was, that was still strong. However, um, you know, rightfully so there was a lot of, a lot of concern, a lot of uncertainty. So, um, you know, we were all being more frugal with our dollars. So those sales dropped. Um, but as people got more and more comfortable, I think with where we were positioned, we as in like everybody, we, um, you know, the, the sales started coming back. But one thing I will say is, you know, even though the sales uh, may have dropped and they started to come back, the one thing that didn't change was the customer base. The customer base continued to grow. The interest in the brand continued to grow. And we started, we continued to foster those relationships. So in the midst of this pandemic, we actually were growing as a brand, maybe not necessarily financially in terms of sales, but uh, when the comfort level of the audience um, came back, sales just came roaring back. And this was our biggest year ever, um, which is just, it would just blows my mind. And we set ourselves up fantastic. Wow. Yeah. It's amazing investing in relationship during the hard times. Uh, and I've seen this again and again, and then it, it's a longer term vision of how it's going to pay off, but usually it turns out and it sounds like uh, you definitely saw that a little bit of that slingshot effect you know, as, as uh, the buying opportunities reopened again. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it was really touch and go. Like come earlier in 2020, it was, we had just bought a bunch of product and then we had new orders that we had to place. And just like, we just couldn't in good conscience place those orders because it, the, the risk was too high. And uh, where we ended up, how we finished the year was just mind blowing. It was such a success. We, we were profitable. Um, we grew our business grew thirty percent this year. Wow! Actually, amazing. Maybe more than that. Maybe it was like fifty percent. It was just like just incredible. Something we never could have fathomed as a business, anyways. But then, especially in a pandemic year, it was just really remarkable. Well, you know, in footwear, there's 
and we've talked earlier about this, the design element of it. There's a fashion element, just the look and feel of the product. And then there's the whole supply chain, you know, how you really start from a design to sourcing the raw materials to creating a manufacturing, producing the product. I'm curious, um, how have you utilized technology or maybe some innovative approaches to your process from that start to finish product that have helped you along the way? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's lots of elements in that. I mean, when it comes to technology, um, we're, we're a small team. We really are. We, we are, we have 10 people on the team right now. Interestingly enough, that number is doubled in 2020. We started the year with five people and now we're ending the year with 10 people. So what 2021 has in store, I'm sure we're not going to double it once again, just with the growth curve. But one of the great things that uh, we've been able to do is with technology, um, we've been able to do way more efficiently um, than we would if we didn't have it in place. So having inventory management systems in place, making sure that the numbers are are legit, um, because we have so many selling channels. We have our own .com, billyfootwear.com, but we also have all of these major retail partners like Zappos and Nordstrom and Shields in the Midwest and, um, you know, Von Mauer and, you know, a lot of these very established businesses. But then we have the smaller businesses, um, the mom and pop stores throughout the United States. We also have retail partners internationally, um, a lot of stores up in Canada, as well as Europe, um, Australia, New Zealand, some in South America. And all these entities are looking for the same product, trying to pull that product. So to be able to, um, since you only have a limited supply of product, it's a matter of making sure that, you know, you're not overselling the product and mistakes do happen. I mean, we had a big rush on this, uh, this Thanksgiving season where we did unfortunately oversell product, but the, the trick is you need to be able to have the technology in place. So that doesn't happen. And to be able to right. serve those customers, you know, um, get things out in a timely manner. So that's more on the, the technology side, but then on the actual manufacturing side, that's a whole different, you know, deal. And that's really rooted in relationship and having the right connections to the right people to be able to make the quality product and to be able to get it to us in a timely manner so we can then pay it forward to the customer. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Makes a lot of sense. And in this pandemic year where so many businesses had to go to a more virtual operating model, just in terms of the employees, people in the business, did did you have to do that as well, Billy, um, in terms of um, working in a different way or how did that play out? Well, that's an interesting question because you know, because when, when Darren and I first started the business, this was, uh, it was a side hustle. <laughs> we had our day jobs that was putting food on the table. And then as we built this thing up, it was always kind of in a virtual space, us from working from home with our spare time. So the business was really built around that type of model. Mm-hmm. Um, the only part that cannot be done virtually is the actual fulfillment. So the actual going into the warehouse, grabbing the product, putting it in a box and sending it to the customer. For the most part, everything else can be done from afar. So when when social distancing came into play and uh, kind of the isolation, the quarantine part of it, um, it was no problem whatsoever having the teams, having members of our team work from home and uh, the only person that, or the only people that had to come in and actually do the, the actual labor part of it were those that were fulfilling the orders. So we adapted, we were able to pivot 
pretty well in that manner. Yeah, you were ahead of the game, it sounds like, uh, in that situation. And so let's talk about the, the growth potential that you have. And from a global perspective, how have you found you know, spreading the message, you know, especially as a really small player again in a big market, established brands, but outside the United States, though, uh, my sense is, is that uh, you're you're starting to really get people to notice. But how has that been to expand globally? Well, first off, expanding globally has been remarkable. It truly has. And the interesting thing about all of this international um, expansion all of these partners actually reached out to us. Uh, we we never did any prospecting um, outside the U.S. I mean, all these entities they reached out to us. They saw the brand, they saw the the shoe, and uh, they were interested in carrying it in either their store that they already had. But some of these businesses out there, they started their own business uh, revolving around our brand. I mean, ours our our shoes ended up being their first. Um, you know, their first product that they would launch their business on, which is just truly remarkable. And uh, so the question is, how did that happen? How did, how did they find out about us? And this is the part that I still shake my head in just disbelief because it's been so remarkable. Um, a lot of it, our whole success in our business, especially early on, has happened because of word of mouth. We've had a couple of really key um, exposure type moments, uh, very viral type exposure moments on social media. And one that comes to mind is there was a mom that had a very positive experience going into a Nordstrom in, in Minneapolis. And she went home and made a post about it. And for whatever reason, you know, it was the type of post I'd seen many, many times before. Not to say that this particular post I'd seen many times before, but just the content of the, the post. It was a very honest, um, you know, just a success story of a parent helping out their child. And uh, but for whatever reason, this one got shared over the course of three days. Um, 280,000 times. So this one Facebook post being shared that many times, there were just a lot of eyeballs that found out about the brand in a hurry. And that's just one example. So, you know, you talk about the relationship, you talk about empowering one person, that person then empowers two more people, those two people empower two more people, and you get this ripple effect um, that just gravitates well beyond your small little circle. It just goes around the planet. So all of these guys that have reached out, um, it's been awesome. And the part that's cool about it too, you talk about universal design, which our brand really is, you know, the the design has been based in universal design. And what that means is it can survive in the fashion world, but can also survive in the function world. Basically, we took the fashion, the function, we smashed it together to be able to bring a product to market. So the fashion side can be somewhat fickle that turns into more of like, I want that product. But on the function side, it's a situation where it's more, I need this product. We have a lot of folks that utilize our brand or utilize our shoes because functionally they need it. And that's really what I needed. I needed a functional shoe to be able to put on simply because I didn't have the hand dexterity to deal with laces. And I didn't have the ability to shove my, shove my foot into a shoe. So having that function element, it basically creates this recession proof model where sales will always be coming in. And uh, a lot of these retail partners internationally also see that too. Yeah. Interesting. And as things really started uh, blowing up, so to speak, uh, globally for you in a good way, 
Has that changed your own view in terms when you think about uh, just even culturally? I'm just curious from a personal perspective, have you learned some things um, and been made aware of things as you've now seen things take off in these other countries? Well, I mean, I, I would say what I've learned and maybe not necessarily I didn't know it, but it's just a big observation. There is a huge, huge need um, out there in the world on this planet. And just somehow our brand has fallen right into that gap. And uh, the gap, and when I say gap, not gap in terms of it just fell in and disappeared. It's a matter of we're able to drop Uh in and fill this gap that uh, um, unbeknownst to us, we had no idea existed in the marketplace. And it's a matter of having a fashionable shoe that has the function level that uh, a lot of people are looking for. It was the same journey that I was looking for. And uh, unbeknownst to me, there's lots of other people on the planet that want to be able to put their shoes on too. So it's been incredible for us to be able to fill that need. And when you talk about culture, I mean, this is some kind of circle back. Um, our team here, it's it's rooted in that culture, rooted in that culture of adding value. And when you have this, um, you know, some sort of feedback from a customer and in between the lines, you can just feel the tears of joy of someone to be able to put their shoes on again for the first time. It really motivates you. It really motivates you to be able to continue to push the brand forward to really get more exposure so more people can find out about it and just help that many more people. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you've really hit a sweet spot and it looks like and, and results don't lie. And, and you're seeing that uh, resonate across the globe. And, and Billy, you've obviously had to overcome huge uh, personal challenges. You've had the pandemic business challenges you spoke about in 2020. But despite all that, when you look ahead to the future, what makes you optimistic? (laughs) Well, you know, I I would, there's so many things that, uh, there's so many things that make me smile. It really does. And seeing that, well, so just on the team side, on our Billy Footwear side, you know, to be able to have this small idea that's now turned into something much bigger that you can have a team that's not only rallying, rallying behind, but it's now able to put food on their table. I mean, like this small little idea has grown to the point where employees of ours are now able to, you know, pay their bills because of the brand, pay their bills and to add value to their own family because of this brand. And then to be able to reach out to that customer that, uh, you know, has not been able to put their shoes on and now they can, or that mom that is trying to get their door, their kid out the door faster, their two-year-old just trying to like anything, just please like, let me get my child out the door faster to be able to provide a product that can uh, help them in that need. And then just having all these nonprofits reaching out going, oh my gosh, we have this audience, our, our group, like is always talking about the brand. Um, we would love to be able to collaborate with you. Um, countries that all of a sudden reach out from like Turkey, for example, like Turkey reached out the other day, like, wow, how in the world did you guys find out about us? And then, um, you know, it just, that type of stuff, it just blows my mind. It truly, truly does. And so when I look at the, look forward, look in the future, it just, we just have to keep doing what we're doing and we just have to try to keep growing the brand to be able to add value to that much more. And that's the stuff that keeps me so optimistic and so happy because I know we're going to get there. I'll tell you, I'm feeling more optimistic about the future just listening to you for the last, uh, last 25, 30 minutes, uh, Billy. So thanks for sharing that. And 
So I, I want to wrap things up with uh, a question. Uh, and as you think about your journey so far, and a lot of our listeners, they're, they're entrepreneurs, as I said before, they're people that are a part of growing businesses. They may be part of established businesses, but they're seeking to drive more strategic growth. What final advice would you have for those leaders as they think about sustainable long-term success? Wow. You know, it, it's interesting because I had, when we were growing this business and still, still to this day, um, there were so many folks that we had just, we received tremendous insight from, and uh, it, it really set us up for success. And I would say that one of the biggest pieces of advice that I was given was there's no shortcut for hard work. Um, it's a grind. It really is. It's a grind to build a business. But as you're going through that grind and you hit those, you, you know, you stumble, but you pick yourself up and you move forward. Like as you fail, you're not failing to turn into a failure. You're failing forward. It turns into an opportunity. So um, I would just say like the one piece of advice that I would give and the, the encouraging words that I would give is like, just keep moving forward. I mean, keep grinding away because as you go through that grind, as you go through the journey, the journey is really where the reward is. It's not necessarily the destination because that destination is always a moving target. It's to keep, it's to keep getting farther and farther out because as soon as you reach your goal, there's a new goal ahead of you that you need to reach. So just keep pressing forward. Don't be afraid to fail because those failures end up being opportunities. When one door shuts, one door opens. So that's really what I would say to be able to continue to press forward and uh, listen to the customer, listen to the customer develop those relationships, um, and uh, just do the best you can. All sorts of new doors opening as we uh, move now into 2021. Billy, great advice. And thanks again for joining and sharing your inspirational story. My pleasure. And a, a reminder, if you like this podcast, please make sure to go out and rate and review. It's very easy to do. You can go out, uh, Apple Podcast, uh, go out, give us a feedback. Really, really appreciated. And as always, make sure to visit marketimpactnow.com for the latest in business leadership perspectives. So long until next time.